Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Paul tells us that God's wisdom is not super secret and unattainable, and yet it's a mystery that some of the greatest intellects have missed, and at the same time is easily understandable by a child. How do we obtain this wisdom? You're listening to God's Wisdom by Reverend Christy Mannion. Our scripture reading tonight comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, and I'm doing a really mean thing, starting right in the middle of the book. We're going to dive into this passage together and then put it in a little bit of context as we go forward. So read with me, um, page 1771, 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 3, 4. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has even conceived, these things God has prepared for those who love him. And these are the things that God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And what we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. So this is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual words. The person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but they are not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? This is the word of the Lord. So true confessions. We open 1 Corinthians today to a passage in the middle of a letter from Paul to a church that he'd started a couple of years before he wrote to them. 
And preparing to preach to you tonight is always an, it's always an exercise in humility for me, but it was a special exercise in humility as I prepared for this message. Because as I studied and prayed about this, I was struck with the reality that the questions that I was bringing to this passage were not the questions God was especially interested in answering from this passage. So over the past challenging year, as a church, we've been asking God to show us the way of wisdom. How do we go together? How do we follow you faithfully, Lord? In our families, we've been asking God to show us the way of wisdom as we navigate different perspectives on the pandemic. And relationships that once were easy, that once brought us almost unmitigated joy, have become more difficult. And so I am, and perhaps all of us, are especially motivated to seek God's wisdom, especially as the swirl of life around us is unsettled. So as I opened up 1 Corinthians and sought to study God's wisdom, words from the first chapter of James were hovering around in my mind and heart. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to everyone without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And yet, as I looked at this passage, this letter, and what Paul means by wisdom, I found my assumptions about just what kind of wisdom I might find here shifting. So how did that happen? Well, one of the first rules of faithful Bible reading for all of us is that we look at passages of Scripture within their wider context. And that takes a little bit of spade work because here we are 2,000 years past the time of Paul, we're opening one side of a conversation between a pastor and church members. Halfway through, just partway into that letter, going to people at a particular place in a particular time whose situation is different from ours. So let's just start there. What do we know about the situation in Corinth and in the Corinthian church? Well, Corinth, at the time of Paul, was a major Roman colony. It was situated on a small uh, strip, an isthmus of land between mainland Greece and the Peloponnesian Peninsula, four miles across. And it, had a it had a harbor on either side of the city. So it was on the crossroads of a major trading route of the ancient world. Ships from Italy would come and they would unload their cargo on one side of the isthmus if they were large ships, and they would truck that cargo across and load it up again on the other, in the other harbor and sail off to the province, maybe the province of Asia, what is now Turkey, across the Aegean Sea. Smaller boats, they'd actually load up onto a road made out of logs and pull them the four miles across the land. It cut off 185 nautical miles for those sailors at that time to go across the narrow strip of land. Around 51 AD, Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth, Acts 18 tells us. 
And Paul first went to the synagogue and tried to cultivate a group of Jesus followers there. And as they rejected him, he moved next door to a house and began working among the Gentiles. And Paul writes this letter to the believers, the little house churches in the metropolis of Corinth from Ephesus, another harbor, another harbor town across the Aegean Sea. And in the letters, Paul says that he views these church members in Corinth as his children. He's their father. And so he writes them a letter from far away to remind them of his love for them because of Christ, to correct their doctrine, to correct their living, and to answer questions in a letter that they had sent to him. And as you might imagine, for a major center of business and travel and trade, Corinth was also a place where ideas were exchanged. You can sort of hear echoes of that emphasis as we hear about spiritual knowledge and hidden knowledge and wisdom in that passage. And so the Corinthians wanted and maybe even expected that Paul would speak of some exalted knowledge in the elevated style of the best orators of the day. That Paul would be like the great Greek philosophers, the towering intellect, or that he'd be like the Jewish scholars. And as the Corinthians sought to become more mature in their own eyes, more spiritual, they wanted to be educated about these mysteries of life. And so toward that end, it seems like they were looking for preachers who were the best and the brightest, people whose rhetorical skills could compete in the Corinthian marketplace of ideas. And they even began to identify and divide themselves according to which preacher they most preferred. Not all of them were especially impressed by Paul. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Or even, over against my siblings in Christ over here in the Corinthian church, I'm the one who follows Christ. So in Paul's absence, the Corinthians were wondering, is Paul the preacher, a preacher of secret wisdom, or isn't he? Does he really have the corner on the mysteries of God's wisdom? So Paul writes, in part, to answer these questions, these critiques about him and his ministry. And he clarifies that the wisdom he's trying to preach is quite different from what the Corinthians understood by wisdom. One of the commentators I read said that for the Corinthians, Sophia, wisdom, meant both exalted knowledge and the ability to express that knowledge in an especially powerful way. But for Paul, God's wisdom looked quite different. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 22 to 24, Jews demand signs. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, 
the power of God and Christ, the wisdom of God. So you see the contrast. For Paul, secret wisdom or the deep mysteries of God wasn't some ecstatic knowledge available only to a few. For Paul, God's wisdom is expressed through the cross. So the crucified Jesus is himself the exalted knowledge, is himself the most powerful expression of God's wisdom. The crucified Jesus is the most compelling and most important word from God that he has for the world. In a source I've lost track of now, I can remember reading, probably in a children's Bible or something many years ago, about a young girl who was asked, why is it that we talk about Jesus as the Word of God? And without missing a beat, the little girl said, because Jesus is all that God really wants to say to us. The wisdom of God in a crucified Savior is so mysterious, so unexpected, that the rulers of this age missed it. And so profound and simple that children can trust it. So we declare God's wisdom, Paul says, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age have understood it, because if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And so the mystery, the hidden wisdom that Paul seeks to preach, is Christ crucified, and to preach him clearly. No other message of wisdom will do. So enough of being overawed by glossy, polished messages by people who have great training. Enough of defining and dividing yourselves based on whose message you liked the best. Enough, Paul says to the Corinthians. Crafted words and intelligent expression are fine as far as they go, but they are not a substitute. For the content of the most important message in heaven and earth. We declare God's wisdom. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so if exalted knowledge and elevated style aren't how the Corinthians come to understand this wisdom, Christ crucified, how do they come to faith? How do they come to see a crucified Savior as their Lord? After all, this is hidden wisdom. Conceived long ago, something no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no heart could have conceived. But Paul says that God has revealed these things, these hidden things, by the Spirit. 
Just as a person's inner being or spirit alone knows what's going on in here as you sit in a meeting and you mull over what to say, what not to say. Just as your inner being alone knows, ah, I think I better give mom a call today. That's going to be a hard conversation. So the Holy Spirit knows the inner thoughts of God. And the Spirit installs in God's people a new operating system in the hearts and minds so that we can hear his word to us in Christ clearly. The Spirit makes known to us God's wisdom, Christ crucified. Paul makes an audacious claim in verse 16 of chapter 2 that we have the mind of Christ. How would we know if we're in touch with the mind of Christ, the wisdom of God? Well, to answer that, I want to explore an analogy with you. I'm indebted to a scholar named Mary Hinkle Shore for this. So when you go to the eye doctor and you sit down in the chair and the optometrist or ophthalmologist wheels over that refractor, you put your face up against the plastic and the eye doctor starts sw swapping out those lenses until that enormous blurry E on the wall comes into focus. And as that doctor switches those lenses, with greater and greater, greater clarity, you're able to see in greater and greater detail until, you know, that E is quite clear, but then finally the bottom line where you have pretty good vision is legible. Similarly, for Paul and for us, the cross of Jesus, the mystery of God, the wisdom of God, is the lens that brings everything else into focus in our lives. The cross orients us in history, orients us in our daily lives. And the Spirit refracts those lenses of our faith focusing on Christ crucified, making our trust in Jesus possible so that what's crucial for our salvation and our life with God comes into focus right there at the cross. We recognize the mind of Christ in us when our mind, our inner being, can see and profess that Jesus is Lord. Not because we have some kind of secret wisdom that distinguishes us from others. So there's no room for pride in identifying ourselves with certain preachers, Paul says, then and now, no point to dividing into factions, being called by the names of the preachers. God's wisdom for us is focused on the face of Christ. His mind in us is demonstrated as we speak and live our faith in him. So wisdom for Paul here is nothing more and nothing less than the hidden wisdom of God's Son on a cross. How do we walk there? 
still trying to figure that out. What does it mean that we've been given the mind of Christ, especially as we're trying to live faithfully? Another commentator wrote that having the mind of Christ is being able to imagine the new creation, being able to imagine that, and being able to even participate in it before it's come into focus for others. Living toward that, even if the lenses are a little blurry for those around us. Christ's love for us and for the new creation that he's forming made the betrayals tolerable. They made the nails endurable. They made the mockery supportable. God, in this upside-down wisdom, shares his mind with those who were his enemies. So our participation in living toward the slow but certain coming of his kingdom doesn't mean that we claim secret knowledge. That would be to repeat the mistakes of the Corinthians, but instead, as God's people together, we consider what's most dear to us in the light of Jesus at the cross. And we see that it's there that the new reality, our ultimate salvation, has come into focus. So we see ourselves and we see our brothers and sisters as people equally in need of eyeglasses, equally in need of the salvation that's offered to us in Christ. And through our hands and through our hearts and through our thoughts and through our words, as we work together, talk together, Christ reaches out to help us up, not to push us down. And leaning on each other, we grow in strength to walk with each other with patience and with humility, acknowledging that the sacrificial love of Jesus is our focal point, our defining moment. Asking the Spirit to fix our minds on God's wisdom revealed at the cross recalibrates our perspective for the long haul. I told you I came to this passage wondering if by it God might shine more light on how we are discerning God's wisdom for our practical questions. But instead, as I studied God's wisdom revealed in the cross of Jesus, I was reminded that my questions and concerns are important, but they're not ultimate. Through the passage, the Spirit adjusted my lenses and refocused my vision just a bit. And it was as if Jesus said to me, you're very eager. You're very eager for my direction, aren't you? But what I really want to offer you is myself. I wanted God's wisdom. And he invited me into his presence. Christ crucified, God's wisdom, the rock that doesn't move. Christ crucified, God's wisdom, the receiver of needy souls in perplexity. Christ crucified, God's wisdom, bows his head 
and shares his mind with his enemies. God's wisdom revealed in the cross of Jesus is not a hidden mystery to solve. It's an invitation to a relationship to be lived. And so as we sit with that vision, that version of God's wisdom in this passage, the Spirit sends our roots down deep into the wonderful and irrevocable and unchanging certainty that we're His. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus, we come to you so often with clamoring demands and minds and hearts that are a flutter. And you say to us, my children, I'm here. We thank you for the cross of Jesus, the fact that his death and resurrection make your mind known to us, that you've loved us with an everlasting love in Christ and you've drawn us to yourself. So Lord, help us as we learn to walk, maybe crawl even first, and then walk and then run in our relationship with you and in our relationships with each other, leaning together toward the kingdom that you are forming. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.